0: Well, I guess we're minus a bunch of people. ABC students are on spring break, right? Is that where they're at? Okie dokie. Well, let's get started. Lord, I pray that you would teach us tonight. pray that you would grow our relationships together for your glory, for our good. Um, Help us to see just different ways that we can uh, worship you in and through the relationships that we have with one another. Uh, Pray, Lord, that um, you just be with me as I teach and pray that it was what we learn here tonight just doesn't stay in the room, that it goes out into our communities and in our homes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so we got one more week, and tonight we're going to be, uh, I'm not even quite sure that this is the, uh, this thing's kind of little. I thought I'd go old school and use paper and an actual Bible, but there's not much room here for that. Um, yeah, I'm not sure that the title that I'm going by for tonight is a, is really the best. Um, I'm calling it unity in worship, or maybe you could say uniting around worship. Um, one of the things that I've found troubling is I've prepared for this lesson and and even with the others is that the practical application of God's word in our everyday lives seems to be overlooked as an act of worship. Now there's a number of resources that are out there on worship that define the things that we've already talked about like who God is and what God has done and how worship is a response to him because of those things and there's a number of resources out there in regards to uh, just teaching things about Christian living and living as living in and outside of the church as believers, so to be fair there there's more than enough resources out there um, concerning these things, but rarely is it called worship. Uh, it may be called obedience or something along those lines, and that 's helpful as long as it's you know, it, it leads us to have an understanding of what we should and what we shouldn't do as Christians. Um, but personally, um, I've never even used the language myself of calling my interactions with you, our interactions with one another, uh, an act of worship. I just don't think it's something that we really normally do. And that's kind of one of the reasons why it was important for me to touch on this uh, topic In relation to worship. So when I say that the lesson is about unity in worship, what I'm not referring to is that we agree or that we come together as concerning things like music on Sunday mornings. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm referring to is that our unity, our love, our interactions inside and outside of the church Um, gathering should be for the sole purpose of glorifying God, and that is called worship. Uh, If you remember from one of the definitions that we looked at a week ago, it stated that worship is a human response to a gracious God, and then it goes on to say that it therefore includes not only the human approach to God, but also the communications of God's of God with his people. And the whole communal activity that takes place when people gather together religiously. Such activity is the formal expression of spiritual attitudes which should characterize God's people at all times. In so as serving other people is a divine command, the fulfillment of it is a part of worship. And so that's that's kind of what we're going to get into tonight. So in other words, one of the ways that we respond to God in worship is by doing what he says. And yes, this is obedience, and obedience is a response. Um, and to obey God is to worship him. And we read in John fourteen fifteen. it says that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So when God has something to say in relation to our interactions with each other and those in the world around us, Our worship response is to listen and to obey, not simply because it's the right thing to do, uh, but because it's our desire to glorify God in everything that we say and everything that we do. Colossians 3.17 reads that whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks... As one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So every word that comes out of our mouths and every deed that comes from our bodies, everything is to be done in the name of Jesus Christ so that in everything God would be glorified through him. And we've talked about God revealing himself to us through his creation and through his word and he's also revealing himself to us through his people. So we speak with intention and we work with intention. And what is that intention? That Jesus would be heard when we speak and that God would be glorified. And that Jesus would be seen when we work and that God would be glorified. That um, what we say and do directly impacts how others see and worship God. Now it's a shame that the primary use of the word worship is in the context of music. Um, I wonder what difference that it would make if that we as the church began to think and interact with one another as if it's another opportunity to worship God. And I wonder if, if we would think twice about some of the things that we say to one another, or would we think twice about behaving certain ways, or would we think less about our personal preferences? Or What if we all agreed as a church to have unity in worship? What if we all approached every relationship with the question, how can I worship God in my relationship with Don or Jason or Amanda or, you know, fill in the blank there with a name? How can I worship God in my relationship with others? So answering this question is what I hope to accomplish with the rest of our time, how can we worship God in our relationships with one another? And I think one of the probably the most important things is that we approach one another in word and deed according to who God says we are because of Christ's work in our lives. So we're all very different people. We're all unique individuals with different personalities and different preferences and we're different ages and sexes and we have different backgrounds and Life experiences, um, but we also share a great deal in common because of who we are in Christ and because of what He has done in our lives. If worship of God is our response to who He is and what He has done, then certainly this should also uh, this is also how we should respond to God and one another based on what God has done. And in our our lives. So if you will, I want you to turn to Ephesians uh, chapter 1. And I'm going to read quite a bit. I'm not going to dissect this at all. There's just some very uh, specific things that I want to point out. So Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to actually read one. Um yeah, we're gonna read one and two, all of it. Now if you can set through that purim. And, can, and if y'all if y'all really are in the mood, I guess you can cheer every time <laughs> No <don't. laughs> you'll probably throw me off. Uh, you could cheer every time I read something that refers to who we are in Christ. All right, so anyway, uh, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, Who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. In whom, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place by the Spirit of God. So, as I said, there's a lot there. My intention is not to cover all these, uh, all these verses. One of the things that I just want to do with all of this, uh, this is something that I actually did, when we were at the church at Three Rivers in Hinton, we worked through the book of Ephesians. And as I was reading through this, it just kept really popping out to me, all of these things that kind of mark us or identify us as believers and what Christ has done in our lives and what we have become because of his work in our lives. So I had created this little chart um, to, uh, to kind of pull out some of those uh, a little bit better. And so just remember, we're, uh, we're looking at this because um, the idea here is, is that we learn to approach one another in word and deed according to who God, say, God says we are because of Christ working in our lives. And so there's this great list starting from verse 1 all the way through to the very last verse in chapter 2 that talks about These things that are true of believers, and it's Jew and Gentile believers, and that's kind of one of the the big points here is that you know God isn't just working with the Jews; it's now Jew and Gentile, and there's He's making one new man uh, from these two different groups of people, and so he starts out in verse one. He refers to the believers as saints. And then he goes on to call them faithful in Christ Jesus. And just keep in mind, for those who are in Christ, this is who you are. And this is how we should approach one another and see one another in light of these things. Things that aren't possible because of anything that we did. This is what Christ has done in our lives. Um, We're blessed together in Christ. We're chosen. We share these things together. We're holy And we're blameless, verse 4. We're adopted as sons and daughters. Um, We're blessed in the beloved, verse 6. Redeemed, forgiven, co-heirs, sharing in an inheritance from God. We're the church, we're His body. We're not a building, we're a people. And we share that together. We've been made alive together with Christ. Remember, we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, but now, as, as believers, we are alive and have been made one with Christ and each other. He's raised us together with Christ. He's seated us together with Christ. We have been saved by grace. We are His workmanship. We've been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ, and He's made one He's made us one, one new man, one body, one spirit, all because of the work of Christ in our lives. He's reconciled us to God. We share access to the Father. Um, We're no longer strangers and aliens. We're fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, a holy temple in the Lord, and a dwelling place. For God by His Spirit, and uh, I didn't really get into this when I talked that before down in Hinton, but it just—it was amazing that to me in those last few verses of chapter two that He's describing a people in terms that were used before as places of worship. Um. Just a side note, I think that it's something to really consider as we move through the rest of this tonight. So together, we share in the reality that God has taken people who are vastly different, people from all walks of life, from every tribe and every nation, Jew and Gentile, and he has made us one. A people where the glory of God dwells individually, yes, but here in Ephesians, the emphasis is on um, what we have become corporately. <clears throat> we, we are the building that is being carefully built and aligned with Christ as the cornerstone. We are the holy temple of God, and we are the dwelling place of his spirit. So we're a people that have been uniquely designed and united by God to be a people of purpose and of worship. We share this together because of what Christ has done in our lives. So God isn't building a place to worship. It's all about a new people. People as we read in First Peter where he says, you're a, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So worship, it's who we are. You were chosen to be priests, a holy people that are set apart by God with a purpose to worship and to glorify him forever together. So God has placed this in our spiritual DNA, if you will. Uh, we are worshipers of God because of what Christ has done. And we share this together. And I think that a lot of times we we really don't consider that in the ways that we interact with each other. Worship, and we come to church and, and again, we typically call the music the worship. Um, but worship doesn't start and stop with the service. No matter what you call it here... If you call the entire thing worship, if you call the music worship, I think we all agree that it's all worship, but it doesn't start and stop at the beginning and the end of the service. It should also take place before and after, because this is what we were made to do. So how you speak in, or how you speak to and of one another and how you work alongside one another is an act of worship. And it's meant to be done with the sole purpose of glorifying God. And it will if, and this is a big if, and we go back to what I've said before, if you approach one another in word and deed according to who God says that we are because of Christ's work in our lives. Might I remind you, as we've already read here in Ephesians, that you are not who you used to be. So don't act like it. Don't talk like it. Who you are now in Christ is what matters. And who they are now, all of us here, this is how we should approach one another. How awesome I think that it would be if our, if our language and our actions towards one another was used as an opportunity to proclaim the excellencies of God and to worship him it's to me it and i'm i'm speaking to myself here because i don 't do this, but it's kind of mind boggling that we don't interact with each other in this way. Um, proclaiming the excellencies of God isn't just a preach the gospel to unbeliever kind of thing. we need to see each other in light of the gospel, and to have it preached to us and to live out before us as believers too. I read this already, um, these, both of these, Colossians 3.17 and 1 Peter 4.11. Whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Giving thanks to God the Father. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When you speak, you speak words of truth into each other's lives. When you serve, you serve in a way that demonstrates the power of God and your gratefulness for what he 's done for you and for your brothers and sisters in christ first um, corinthians fourteen twenty six says "What then, brothers? When you come together, each one of you has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up, so when we come together, we each bring something to the table that is intended to build one another up. When we don't speak and interact with this intention, we tend to do just the opposite, which is to tear each other down. And this has a huge impact on how or even if we worship at all. Uh, It can ultimately have an impact on how a person views God and interacts with God personally. So it it affects our relationship with God. How others worship. Right. Yeah. As we worship God as individual individuals, the idea is that we bring that together collectively when we meet and we unite together in worship corporately. And I feel like it's important to cover this in relation to this topic of worship because I can personally attest to how my ability um, to worship has been impacted by others, and that's for better or for worse. And I think we probably all can share those type of stories. Ultimately, um, I've been one of the worst probably to hinder the way that other others, pe- other people worship. And I, I wonder uh, for, for you to think, how many times have you sit here even in this building, um, and you've been distracted by something that another person has said or done when we're here to worship, and you can't get that off of your mind? How many times have you come and been distracted by your own personal preferences or or your desires not being met, and that's all you can think about when you're here? I have often, and I've done it even here in this room, Um, prior to being here my family had years uh, of hurt from other Christians and we're still not over that and trying to work through it and if I can be completely vulnerable right now I find it hard to worship at all Um, you know I'm one of the men that is up front leading music and I'm I'm planning songs and um, songs that are intended to draw us closer to God and to highlight the many reasons that we have to worship God, and yet I find it difficult, or even sometimes don't have the desire to do it at all. I want to want to, isn't that what you say? Is that is that right? I want, yeah, I want to want to, um, but at this point in my life, I'm battling to uh, to do it just out of pure faithfulness. You know, I. I Mentioned to Jason a while back that you know just this struggle and you know, sometimes that's all you can do is just be faithful. Um, but even at that, it's it's hard. Uh, I I struggle to uh, worship personally and, and and to bring anything to to share. And part of that struggle is because of the years of hurt uh, that. Um, that relationships within the church have kind of, how it's hurt me and hurt my family. Uh, you know, even planning to teach this on Wednesdays is a chore. It's, it takes everything that I have to sit down and even do it. But you do it. But I do it, yes, that's true. But I do it. And, I, you know, I find it hard to muster the, up the desire to, to teach these lessons um, each week. But again, I want to want to. But it's a battle to give anything. And as I mentioned, my struggle is primarily due to being hurt and watching my wife be hurt over the past years. I don't trust people. And sadly, I struggle to trust people in the church. Um, I used to be a lot closer to people and would have Christians uh, and non-Christians. In and out of my life, like a revolving door that was never locked. And I wanted that more than anything. My biggest problem used to be that I gave so much time to church and ministry, uh, and that I really didn't have time for anything else. And I loved every minute of it. If I could be with a person or a group of people, that was the best day of my life. And that's pretty much how I spent my life for a great deal of time. But now I hold back out of fear of being hurt. And, you know, my worship, and I've talked, you know, with Angela about this, our worship as a family has been impacted because of this. And I know that I'm not alone. You know, many of the relationships that I have, um, the close relationships now have been formed out of just sharing the same struggle with others uh, and how they've been hurt. And I've often said to them that some of uh, some of the the most hurtful pain that I've experienced has been in my relationships with other Christians. Even as a, a an unsaved person, I don't remember my relationships causing so much pain, and and that's sad. Um, so if you think for a moment that we don't impact others, each other's worship of God, then you're wrong. We do. And, guys, the church, it ought not to be like that. Um, Our relationships shouldn't be a distraction to worship and other people worshiping. Uh, Our relationships should build us up so that we worship even more. We're God's people given the sole purpose to draw attention to God, not away from Him. And it's for His glory... And our good that we enjoy him together. You know, remember we talked about that a few times. I've mentioned it, that the purpose of worship in uh, our, our lives really is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we were meant to do that together. We're meant to enjoy God together. So beyond all this, um, it, it kind of gets a little bit worse. Uh, the world is watching the world is watching, and I believe, even though we don't use this language enough, the world is watching us worship. And they can tell if we, we're united in it or not. Uh, and to me, this is even more troubling than my own problems. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, as a believer, it's been five hard years. And it might be six and, or eight or ten but I know that as a believer, I'm going to be okay. Um, but again, there's this world around us watching. That's not; they're not okay. And I worry about <clears throat> even in my home how I portray church life and uh, worship to my kids, whom some of not are not saved. And then there's my neighbors and my coworkers. I've always tried to listen and to love and to encourage them uh, in ways that I believe that only a Christian really can. But I've found it hard to do things like invite them to church. And, and I don't mean necessarily here. I'm just speaking in general. Over the last five years or so, I've found it hard to invite those people to church because I'm either embarrassed, ashamed, or worried about what they might see. They're watching And um, although we do have something to offer them, even in our mess, uh, we have a hope that one day it's all going to be gone and one day it's all going to be made new. Uh, But I fear that they won't get that. You know, like, we understand that. We understand we're messy people and we understand what Christ has done in our lives. But if what's put up front for them to see is the mess... And not the other stuff. Because we don't emphasize that enough or live out of that enough. I worry about what they see when they look at us. So even through the, the mess, um, we still have an obligation and the ability through Christ to show them something more. And our unity in how we worship together, I believe, is one of the best ways that we can do that. Um, one of the things... That I've always loved about uh, this picture that we get in Acts two, and the life of the church and how it's impacted those outside of the church. So we're going to turn there to Acts chapter two, forty-two through forty-seven. And this is, I know, it's familiar to you. Um, Acts two forty-two, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is a picture of how they worshiped together. It's what it is. They were devoted, ready to do it again. Sometimes we treat Sunday morning like it's a chore to be here for a few hours. And they worshipped every day with gladness. And guess what? They did it together. <laughs> they did it together. They ate meals together. And they did it with, gladness and gener- with glad and generous hearts. They did it with joy. They prepared their meals with joy. They ate their meals with joy. This is an attitude of worship. And it's an attitude that they shared in together. And all the while, the world was watching. Uh, I'm sure they had their mess too. But that's not what stood out. That's not what was up front. How they worshiped was at the forefront of what others were seeing Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who, the number of those who were being saved. And if you read on in chapter 4, we see this number really wasn't just a few here and there. It was thousands of people. Thousands of people. When the gospel was preached, thousands were saved. And we know... That the gospel alone is the power of God for salvation. But if you think for one minute that the life of the church didn't add weight to that gospel message, you're mistaken. It most certainly did. God took the time to point it out here in Acts 2. And to point out that through the worship of these people and their lives together, more and more people were being saved. We, the church... Um, we are a visible manifestation of the glory of God and evidence to a watching world that the gospel is true. This is who we are together. In 2 Corinthians two fourteen through 17, it says, But thanks be to God who in Christ has always led us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. it's referring to a victory parade after winning a battle. And Christ has led us, the church, in victory. As his people, we are the victory parade. Together, we are the victory parade. We are together the ones who are marching through the streets, proclaiming the excellencies, the excellencies of God to all those who watch as we march. That's who we are together. We are the aroma of Christ, a fragrance that proclaims to the world victory over sin and death and new life to those who are being saved and death to those who refuse to join the parade. We speak in Christ. We represent him to the watching world in word and in deed. How we interact with one another, it matters for the sake of the gospel being visible in our lives together but also in the lives of those who are watching around us how we worship together matters the gospel is all about creating worshipers of god who marvel in who he is and what he has done Uh, how we worship together is important how we interact can and should be viewed as an act of worship Uh, We should be intentional about how we live together. So I'll ask the question again, how can we worship God in our relationships with one another? And it seems to me that this question is pretty clear in Scripture. um, And you probably can already guess where I'm going with this. There's a whole slew of these one another passages, right? Um, We're not going to spend a great deal of time on any one of them. Um, but, but we're, going, we're going to get there um, and just throw out a few of them because I just think it's important to be refreshed on what these things say. And they're not good ideas. This is what God has told us to do and how we should live and act uh, and interact with one another. Let me find my list here. So just listen to these, as I go through them. Be at peace with each other. Wash one another's feet. It ain't gonna happen, guys. No, I'm just the kiss one another. I'm sorry. It ain't gonna happen. I was reading something that another guy said, and he was apologizing to Dave Crowder and said in. Uh, John Mark McMillan or whatever his name is, that this is not referring to an unseen or a sloppy wet kiss. (laughs) But in John, um, five times, love one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. And again, love one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another. Then, just as Christ accepted you, instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. When you come together to eat, wait for each other. Have equal concern for each other. Greet one another. Again, greeting one another with a holy kiss. Serve one another in love. If you keep on biting and devouring at each other, you will be destroyed by each other. Let us, not be, uh, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, consider others better than yourself. Don't lie to each other. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Mark your, uh, make your love increase and outflow for each other. Love each other. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Encourage one another daily. Spur on another. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Encourage. One another. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. You know what kind of relationship you have to have with a person in order to confess your sins to them? Just think about that. Pray for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Love each other deeply. Offer hosp- uh, hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Greet one another with a kiss of love. And then 1 John is just full of loving one another. I hope that after tonight we realize we can't just show up and sing songs and listen to teaching and say that we worshiped if we walk away and neglect worshiping God in our relationships. And in some cases, we just outright disobey what God has said concerning these things, and we haven't worshiped at all. And we may have even become a hindrance in how others worship. And I don't think that anyone wants that, but sadly we do it without thinking. So my challenge to you tonight is that you think. Think before you speak, think before you act. Always come together asking yourself, how can I glorify God in word and deed in my relationships with these people? This is another part of worship. It's pretty obvious that people matter to God, and people should matter to you. And remember that people are watching how we interact. They're watching our worship. How you worship or don't worship God through your relationships will either distract or attract others to God. And so just consider that tonight as you, as you leave. How can you worship God through the relationships that you have? Um, and again, I'm just, these one and others, it's not good ideas. It's how we should live. This is what God said. This isn't what Jason said, this is what God said. Um, I think it's a lot more than just a pretty good idea. I believe that something miraculous would happen in the church if we lived this way. And I, I'm going to just say that I am as guilty as anyone as failing to do it. Um, but I want to want to. And I really hope that you do too. Well, let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this church, and, and thank you for the many churches that meet around us. Um, Lord, I pray that as local assemblies that we uh, could unite around this idea of worshiping you through the relationships that we have with one another. Um, I pray that you would be glorified in how we speak and in how we act and in the things that we do. Lord, that you would be exalted and that that my brothers and sisters in Christ and in, in my home, that you would be glorified in all that we say and do in word and deed, Lord, that you would be exalted. And I pray that um, that this would be the heart of your people uh, even in these other congregations around us. Um, the world is watching. And uh, Lord, I honestly i i want more than i want to want to worship you i i really long um to enjoy you and i know that we all do but i feel that that we hold one another back often and i'm guilty of that myself let us be of people that, that spur one another on to love and to good deeds and to worship, that we would point each other and others outside um, of the church to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.